Hey, thanks for listening to Cornerstone Church. You can find us on the web at akcornerstone.org. And we want you to know it's our prayer that the Holy Spirit will use this message to either save you through the good news about Jesus Christ, grow you into the likeness of Jesus, or send you to proclaim Jesus in the Spirit's power. I have this image. um, I wouldn't say every time that I preach, but I have it often. And that is holding up a rifle, and you'll all read this because you guys hear hunting stories all the time, I'm sure. But holding up a gun and pulling the trigger and the bullet just kind of goes out, just drops out at the end of the barrel and lands on the ground. That, that My prayer today, and I've been praying diligently, that what God wants to say today wouldn't be something that just comes out of a barrel and drops on the ground, but rather that it would really, the Word of God would penetrate our hearts, as God says in His Word that He would do. And that we would really have ears to hear what the Lord is saying. And I include myself in the message. Uh, and, and usually um, the things that are most beneficial are the things that uh, God has been putting me through personally first. Uh, before I have the opportunity to deliver it. So some of what I'm talking about here today. A lot of what I'm talking about here today. I've had opportunity in my own journey to experience it. So you're not talking about someone who is... Uh, you're not listening to someone who is addressing this subject and this issue as a novice, for sure. But I want to talk about you and I running, running our races well, and the whole idea of finishing our races well. And I'm going to talk about things that I think, uh, in fact, I know that the Lord wants to say here today, just to address and bump up against, to remind us of who we are so that we can finish our race well. So it always begins with this for me, that God Almighty can do whatever he wants to do. And that, and this is a picture in my head, that as far back as I can even imagine eternity being, before time was ever conceived and thought of, that God had you in his mind, and he had your days assigned for you, as the scripture says, even when you were in your mother's womb, he knew all of that way ahead of time. And that there are gifts, that there are callings, there are things that he deposited into your life. And that you're not here by accident. That you are here designed by God's plan and his purpose. Because his intention is to utilize the things that he has gone into great, gone to great length to deposit into your life for you to influence the world that you're living in. For you to be able to run a race well and to finish well. And it all comes from the word purpose, which is a a word used in the Old Testament, and that word is showbread, meaning something that is deliberately set forward with intent. That God is very purposeful about what he does because he's God. He created it all. He sees it all. He knows it all. He's above all. He is in all, through all. He is God. And we get to be a part of it. We get to go along on the journey of that. So God has his purpose for you. And his purpose is always excellent. God just doesn't create and say, well, you know, in the, in, when you read in Genesis, when it talks about the creation of the world, he doesn't say, oh, I worked today and look what I put together. Ah, it's kind of okay. Well, he didn't say that. He said, wow, that's good. And the best part I like is, of course, when it gets down 
to the woman because this, now this is really good. Uh, and you men need to pay attention to that so you all ought to sign up for the weekend to remember that this is really good. This is a good thing that's happening here because his image is being able to be shared and shown to the world around us. So we are a people of purpose. I have a computer screen uh, program that just flashes dictionary words and, and I love learning new words. And I came across one the other day that I, and I write things on my whiteboard so I can keep looking at them over and over and kind of let it soak in and settle into me. But the word is absurdism. I didn't even know there was such a word. In most dictionaries, it doesn't even carry the word absurdism. It uses the word absurd, but not absurdism. And uh, the word absurdism is the belief that human beings exist with purposeless lives. Purposeless lives. That's absurdism. I'm so grateful that we're not those people and that I'm not talking to those people, but that in fact God has uniquely and wonderfully designed you for specific time, specific purpose, specific functions, and specific races in his purposes and in his wisdom. And we all know that in the course of that race, every one of us has a journey or a story to tell. And that story is made up of all kinds of components and it's got chapters to it and transition times and all of those things that happen in the course of that. And we know that there's a preparation for that journey. And that we know that we don't just graduate from kindergarten to the graduation of high school to 12th grade. We don't just beam there, but there's a process that we walk through because there's something being shaped on the inside of us. And we are here in the process of being shaped. Some people think almost purposeless in this way, in that, and I'm going to use the illustration of a marathon, or in, in Anchorage has lots of uh, long-distance run, running races and distance running races and some sprints, but most of them long-term that requires perseverance. But there are some people who enter into races just to say that they've been in the race and they get a t-shirt. Just cause they, and that's a good thing, that you even got in the race. That's a good thing. But I want to say to you that it's more than just getting the t-shirt because we can have a closet full of t-shirts. Uh, but that doesn't really make a statement of anything. It doesn't mean that we've impacted or changed anything. But those who have that excellent spirit that God possesses and is the very nature and the character of who he is, those people are different. Those people aren't in to get a t-shirt. They're not in the race to say, I ran the mayor's marathon or I ran the whatever. I am in this so that I can obtain a prize because I have a purpose. And there is a prize and there is a purpose for every single one of you. And God wants us to be about that purpose and to be about that prize. Now, I know that there's this preparation that has to happen for and any good coach that's going to be helping someone in being an athlete or in entering into a race or anything else, there's that preparation. You've got to look at the way they think because a person can be defi- uh, defeated already before they even get into the race, before they even put on their running clothes. They can be defeated in their own head. That can happen, of course. We know that people can have issues with their heart. If you've got issues with your cardiovascular system, if you've got respiratory issues, all those things are going to impact. If you've got skeletal issues, those are going to impact how you run your race. Well, today's message is about kind of looking at our hearts, if you will, more than anything else, 
and about how prepared we are for running the race and maybe more importantly, how we maintain our heart to be able to finish the race and to finish it well. So I'm going to just look at the book of Hebrews very quickly. I'm going to make reference to it and then I'm going to go to chapter 12. I'm going to make reference to chapter 11 first. And we know that this is the, this is the chapter that is full of, I call it the heroes of heaven, the heroes of of this earth who these are people who saw things that weren't and they longed for things that aren't they were people who uh, reached out and apprehended and embraced things as it was a reality to them they could see it so well in their own spirit and God help us that we would be those kind of people those people who would be marked by faith and one of the greatest indicators of a person of faith is not necessarily the miracles, but rather the endurance that it takes to be able to maintain the course to apprehend the prize. These people all maintained their course heading even when they couldn't and didn't lay hold of the actual trophy or the prize or the thing that they were called to. And I'm I believe that God's called us to be these kind of people. In, and if the Hebrews chapter 11 were to be rewritten in this time, that our names would be here. That it would be listed that we were people who were examples that persevered in the middle of the hardest of things, who possessed something in their spirit and could see something in their spirit, and they refused to let go of it, and they continually pressed toward in all perseverance the thing that they saw or the thing that they were built for the things they were called to. I want to be those kind of people. I want to be the kind of people who are like the Abraham who could see beyond just Abraham. And the promises of God to him were not just to him, but they were to Isaac and they were to Jacob. They were to all of those who would come after him. I want to be the kind of man that is able to see past the Isaac and the Jacob even to the generations way down the line and know that what I do and how I carry my life right now can impact all of those down the road. I want to be those kind of people. I want to be the kind of person, and I think you do too, who's the kind of person who leaves a mark, leaves a legacy in your time. This timeline of eternity and blip, there you are. And your name is recorded right there. That's where you lived out your life on earth, right here, on this eternal timeline. And how you brought impact to everything else following you because of the way that you lived, because you persevered in your faith, because you could see what others couldn't see. You were the person who had the courage to be able to charge when others would withdraw. You were the kind of person who would hold on to a promise when everything around you would say, it ain't going to happen. You were man, woman of faith. Here you are. Young man, that would be you. Here you are right now. What will you do? The decisions that you make today will impact everything that's going to take place in all of tomorrow's. Because you're a person of purpose. You're a person of destiny. Every one of you are in that place. So we have choices along the way. And there are things that shape us along the way in the process of that. Hebrews 11.13 says they saw, they looked, they longed for what God had prepared for them. Here's the word that I'm going to throw in there. They had responsive hearts. 
They had a heart that was responsive, not hard, not fixed. It was willing to change. It was willing to be molded. It was willing to be adjusted when it wasn't in the right place. They had responsive hearts in their perseverance and pressing toward. Now, read with me, if you would, please, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. Therefore, because of looking at all the people in chapter 11 that this all addresses, that's the context of that. Therefore, since we are, we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, all these people, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Two different things there. Things that hinder and things that entangle. That's what he's talking about. Throw off, and there, how many know there are just things? Not necessarily sin, but they're just things that kind of hang on to you. And we'll talk about that here in a second. And then there is sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. We're not the ones who chose the race. If I had my way, the race I would have chosen would have been very different. How about you? God never asked me, Richard, what would you like to happen in your life? He never asked me that. When he created me, he didn't say, okay, this, what would you like to take place? He's the one who orchestrated my days. He's the one who set my paths in place as he has done yours. The race marked out for us. And then he says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. The places where we're not perfect yet, we're not complete in, we're not whole in yet. He's saying, this is the author, this is the one who can adjust those things who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame or scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The word there to throw off, let us throw off everything, means to cast away. What it is not saying is, let's tuck it away, let's just hold on to it. And like some of us who are kind of, I don't know about any other men here, but it's like I can't go past a garage sale without picking up something that I think someday I'm going to need. I don't need it now, necessarily, but I love collecting those bolts and those nuts. And, and I tell my wife all the time, it saved us millions. <laughs> right? Or there's a special wood that I like to work with. I've got to have that, and, and I can find a place for that. Well, the only problem is when you move out of your house... You know, it's the what do you do with all those things that you collected? Because it's interesting that for all of us anyway, usually along the way in our collecting, it does what the scripture says, those things that easily beset us, those things that cause me to kind of lean over because of the weight of it, or those things that aren't keeping me agile. In fact, I got so much weight on my back that I just sort of, I can tip over pretty easy if you get me going in the direction. It's, and especially the older I get, you know, that's why those who are older go to therapy and they have you stand on the ball so you can build your core strength. And Don't look at me like that. You know what I'm talking about. You know, because you're not, you, don't, you don't stay upright as well as you used to. And you have a little more that's hanging out there that kind of throws your balance off. At least some of us do, right? So you've got to work on that core strength thing. But the whole idea here is that God got somewhere for us to go and we can't allow those things in our life or permit those things in our life that are going to cause us to bend. 
those things that are going to cause us to kind of sway and not be able to run with everything that we could be running with in excellence. And then he says, in the offense, the sin, the offense. I love this because in the Greek it means to miss the mark on the way. First of all, I want to say thank you for being on the way. But I don't know about you, but even being on the way, I miss my mark. Anybody else like that? There are times when I set out to do the right thing and I've got great intentions, but somehow I didn't quite turn out like I thought it would, right? I, I, and, and, and all of us are in this place of being able to evaluate other people and make judgments about other people by their actions, but of course we evaluate ourselves by the intent of our heart. And the reality is that there are things that can beset us. There are things that can knock us off balance. There are things that can hinder us from being all that we could and should be, to miss the mark on the way, or to swerve from the truth. It's interesting at the root of that word truth is the very thought of something that is hidden underneath something else. Something that needs to be exposed. And maybe there's nobody here like that, but at least in my life there are things that God needs to shine the light on because it's kind of causing me to wobble in my race. He needs to shine the light on because there's some things that are really hurting me that are not healthy at all and will disqualify me or certainly take me out of the running. Everything and the sin, two different things that so easily besets us or entangles us. It thwarts our race. And the idea of this, uh, literally, when it comes to my mind in looking at the word uh, thwart or in the Greek, that word that hinders or entangles, depending on what version you use, Here's the picture that, that happens in my mind. Some of you are old enough to know who Wiley Coyote is and the road runner. How many? Anybody know who that is? Oh, good. Thank you for being honest. Well, how many know that the story with Wiley Coyote and the road runner, it never really changes. It's always the same thing over and over. They just change the cliff and the anvil that's going to fall or the rock or the sign or the whatever. In the Greek, literally, what that is talking about is that it's like the idea of a competitor, in this case would be the enemy, who is out there putting signs at branches in the road to get you going down the wrong trail. And if you follow that direction and you keep following that trail, you'll end up in the puckerbrush somewhere. And then we go, how in the world did I get here? I had good intentions, I was on the road, and I even followed the sign. The problem was it was a sign authored by the wrong one, right? Or it was something else or someone else that planted the sign there, and it just gave me the opportunity to take a detour. And I have a scripture for you about that, and, and this was a big help to me a number of years ago. And I was struggling with, I can't even remember what it was now, but I was... I was literally on my knees in front of a chair in my office and there was a particular decision or situation that was happening and I was asking God, please help me, help me. I was just begging the Lord, please talk to me about this. What do I do? And the scripture came into my mind and honestly it meant nothing to me. I didn't know what it meant or anything like that and it hadn't been one that I had studied. And I turned to it and it's Psalm 27 that says, The Lord is my light and my salvation, 
of whom shall I be afraid? The Lord is the strength of my life, of whom then shall I fear? Or something like that. And it occurred to me like this, that God, being who he is, out of his love, he gives me a light on my path. He does. He gives me direction and gets me going down the path. Somehow, in, my, in the traffic of humanity, somehow I get off the path. I just do. And I find myself standing out in the weeds somewhere, out in the bushes somewhere, and I'm going, how in the world did I get here? You know, that whole thing. And the last half of that verse is this, and my salvation. When God said he would be my light, understanding who we are, but he also promises, I, I am your light. But if you miss it, if somehow something has happened and you've been detoured, please know that I am your savior, that I am your deliverer. And that out of my love for you, I'm going to come alongside you and I'm going to take you by the hand and I'm going to help you get back to where you need to be. Anybody ever lost your way? And you thought for sure you knew exactly where you were? A, a few years ago, and, and um, a few years ago, I went hunting by myself, which I know, not the best thing to do. Don't tell me about all the things I know, what I should have done different. I know. But it was by myself, and I decided I was going to go out, and, and I got there late where I wanted to hunt, and it was starting to get dark, but I still had plenty of light, you know, and... And I've been hunting all my life. I know what I'm doing. And I was just going to go kind of check out the area around where I was at. And I thought, no big deal. So I just grabbed my gun. I didn't take any extra ammo. I didn't take a pack. I didn't take a lighter. I didn't take matches. I didn't take compass because I was just looking at around where I was at. I was just scoping out the land around where I was at. So I wandered over here because that was it. Man, that looked like a cool spot. And I wandered over here and... Wow, and I'm looking around, and I'm thinking, oh, there's moose around here. I can tell. And I'm looking into the grass and tracking, and, and then my eye catches this spot over here, and I'm like, oh, man, this is good, but that one over there is even better. And Shane, I walk right to that other spot. I got over there, and I'm looking around. and I said, man, this is so cool. I, I'm gonna, tomorrow morning, I'm going to be here first thing in the morning, and I'm going to be waiting. I'm here. And then I got over here, and I'm oh man, there's a really cool spot over there and I wandered over there and I'm having a great time and, and all of a sudden I get this realization Richard, it's getting darker and I thought, okay, I should head back to where my vehicle is so I started back in the direction of my vehicle but the problem was I had made a number of transitions, right? And I thought I knew where I was all this time, but as I'm making my way back to where I thought my vehicle is, it's now dark. And Richard doesn't have a coat. He doesn't have any matches. He hasn't survived. He hasn't planned for this at all. He's just wandering around in the woods dark. And that sense of fear overwhelmed my heart. I can still remember that. It's like, oh, man. And the palpitations happen, and I'm thinking, I do not want to stay out here. It's rainy. It's cold. This is really stupid. And I started in the process of, you, you crazy guy. What in the world were you thinking? And we do all of the judgments about ourselves, all those kind of things. And I realized, oh, no. What I used to be able to hear in terms of the sound of traffic way over yonder, it was totally silent now. 
I had no bearings as to where I was, and the tree cover was heavy enough that I couldn't see anything. And I'm, man, I'm making good pace. I'm hastily trying to move to where I thought my vehicle was, only I realized finally my vehicle isn't where I'm going. I don't know where I'm at. And I think I better make a right. And so I made a right, and I'm walking along, and this whole time, some of you are grinning at me because you know exactly how this feels. And you hastily make your direction and you can't see anything and you're kind of stumbling through the brush by now and you're panicking at least on the inside, not necessarily outside because you've got it all together and you make it look like it was planned, I know. But you're panicking on the inside as you're making your way and you know that I walked out, finally I walked right out, right up to my vehicle and I got up to my black Chevy pickup and I kissed it. I was so excited to see that vehicle. I went, here's my point. The Lord is my light, but he's also my salvation. Because sometimes I get a better idea. Sometimes I think, obviously, this is a better thing over here, and I wander that direction. That's not very much different than the way we live our life oftentimes, is it? So I want to address some of the things that I think that really impact us in running our race, being able to persevere, being able to finish well. And I really felt like the Lord gave me this specific thing, and I don't know anything about you, uh, and that's a good thing. I don't know anything about your congregation, what's going on here. I haven't had a debriefing from your leadership team. I don't even know who your leadership team is. So with that qualification, let me address it head on. One of the things that prevents us from getting to the place of apprehending the prize is unforgiveness. Unforgiveness has a way of clotting arteries. Unforgiveness is like, I described it in the first service, like a cancer that has a way of just kind of eating, eating, and eating, and eating its way and taking life that's all it does it takes life it never gives life it's the gift that keeps on taking unforgiveness now we're going to go to the scripture in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9 this journey is very important and I think the disciples in their own journey of walking with the Lord they asked the honest question because it was about relationship with God. And they asked the honest question, Lord, teach us to pray. And then Jesus gave them the model. He said, now this is not how or what you're supposed to pray. I don't think he was saying that you shouldn't pray this way, but I think he was talking about here are the components that are important in prayer. It was a modern, it was a sample prayer, if you will. Our Father, chapter 6, verse 9. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, it's interesting, last night when I was looking at this again, I think I counted 17 pronouns in these couple verses, meaning this is about you. And today, I'm talking to you. Today, I think the Holy Spirit is talking to you. He's talking to me. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
There was conflict in heaven one time. And then there wasn't again. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Is that right? When we think in terms of eternity and heaven, it is about peace. It's not about conflict. It's not about wound. It's not about hurt. In fact, there's no more pain. No more crying. No more tears. No more grief. It's not there. It's not resident there. And Jesus is making this example of let heaven come to earth. In our lives individually, the pronouns here, the you's, the we's, in our lives, let it be the picture of what heaven is. And individually and as a group, give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts because we all have debts. Now I am grateful for the work of the cross and what Jesus has done, but I also know there's a responsibility, and Ash used this word in the first service, there's a responsibility of sanctification, there's a responsibility of being doers of the word of God and adhering to the word of God. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Because the evil one wants to delay, the evil one wants to direct you away from the prize. The evil one wants to somehow hinder you so that you're not able to run the race. The evil one, if he could, he would like to cause an event that would happen in your life that would impact your children. And your children would respond and see the wound in your hearts as parents and use that as a reason for never serving God. It could be that at work, as a leader, that we could allow offense in our heart or wound in our heart or unforgiveness in our heart. And don't you know that that is never kept secret? Somehow it leaks out the condition of our hearts. And as leaders, we can't be the kind of leaders that God has called or intended us for us to be if our heart's not in a good place. And God wants us to have right places in our hearts. Verse 14, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, not if they do, but when they do, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Our attitude is really critical in running this race about not just finishing, but how we're going to run the race. Our attitude is really critical. And it's important when it says here in Hebrews, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and now is set down at the right hand of the Father. Through the hardest things in the life of Jesus as a man, and yet he was able to keep his eye where it needed to be and go through all the stuff without it impacting the final outcome in him being the savior of mankind. Jesus understands our conflicts and our issues, our struggles really, really well. Better than anyone else. Jesus knows where we're coming from. 
So I think that it's time that we sometimes take a good look at our heart and our attitude and that we think about this issue. And I want to pose the question, could there be places in your heart where there is unforgiveness? Now the word forgiveness is the idea of thrusting something out of your way, rolling it out of your way. And I use the example in the first service that if I was walking on a a path from here to over there and there's a, a rock in the middle of the path, most of us what we do is we get up to the rock which is the offense or the wound or whatever and then we make a new trail around it and keep going. But the whole idea of forgiving is to roll the offense out of the way. Now if you've already got a name on the offense, a person's name, It's not saying roll the person out of the way. That's not what it's saying. But roll the offense out of the way. Make the choice that you're not going to let this deter you. Make the choice that you're not going to allow this thing to be a a stumbling block for you. In John chapter 6, there's an interesting scripture there. Jesus had just been having this conversation with the disciples And he said to them uh, several really hard things, really challenging things. One of them being, you know, will you eat my flesh and drink my blood? And asking about that commitment and relationship. And they're kind of going, whoa, we've never heard anything like this before. And then Jesus asked these words. He said, does this offend you? And Peter responded with, Lord, where else have we got to go? You hold the words of eternal life. But that word offend is the word skandalizo in the Greek where we get our word scandalize or scandal. So I'm going to take you back and use my simple illustration of this. When I was a young boy, I loved to be in the woods and loved to go trapping and that kind of thing. So I'd I'd take a wooden box, and that's when we had wooden boxes, and I'd take a wooden box and I'd get out there and I'd find the best spot in the good brush and the coverage there and I'd take that box and turn it upside down and then I'd prop one end up with a little stick that I'd break off and put under there and I'd tie a string around the stick and I'd put a tasty morsel of something hoping a rabbit would come in there or whatever and I'd go take my string and I'd go hide in a brush over here and I'd wait for that little critter to come over there and then I'd just jerk the string at the right time and the box would fall down and I got my catch. It's an entrapment, right? I trapped, I trapped this little guest here. That's what the word scandalize means. To be trapped. To be entrapped. Once your heart has been scandalized, it's hard to get out from under the box. So what I'm saying to us today is don't let the box fall on you. Don't let the wound take place in your heart that it would take you out of the race that it would detour you, that it would be something that you would carry around the rest of your life. Don't let that wound or whatever that is be something that would be passed on to your children or your children's children. I'm sure everybody here knows of people who had bitterness, had wounds, had issues, And they're still angry about things that happened 30 years ago. Never been able to let go of them. They keep going to the same funeral over and over and over. And the grief has compounded every time they go. 
and it gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And there's almost nothing sadder in my mind than a person who has lived out their years and they're still angry, bitter people about an event that happened way back here. A grudge has been carried all these years. In fact, it wasn't something that just happened and, you know, it was a one-time thing, but they allowed it to swell. And that's a whole thought and context. And for the sake of time, I'm going to speed it up here. But the whole idea is that when a wound takes place, there's a swelling that happens. And then Hebrews it says, be careful lest there be a bitter root take place. That word in the Hebrew, or excuse me, in the Greek, means a poison. Make sure that there's not a poisoning that happens in your heart. And the thought is that it just grows slowly and quietly into this bitter thing. And you taste of it, and it comes into your system. Because here's what happens, as it says, and you can follow that text. It says, and many are defiled by it. Everybody in your sphere of influence are impacted by the wound that happened in you. And you could have prevented it. And you can prevent it. And you say, well, man, I've been, this is a hurt, and I have a right to the way I feel. All of us think we have entitlement, right? I'm entitled to feel this way. I'm entitled to carry this wound. Not according to Scripture, not in having a your heart, not in having a right heart before God. None of us are entitled to that. If we call ourselves servants of Jesus Christ, or Paul uses the term bond servants or bond slaves, that means the slave, he doesn't have any rights. There are no rights. And if we say, Jesus, you are Lord, I am surrendering my heart, my life, and I'm saying, I'm yours, I belong to you. And then there are things that come along the way in the journey that bumps up against and tests our mettle that determine how we're going to run our race and finish our course. And my cry to you today, because everybody's in the same boat at some point, if there are things that are gaining entrance into your heart, today would be a good day to acknowledge those and to bring those before the Lord and ask God for his mercy. God, would you, today, I don't know how many times today, I've said to the Lord, God, please have mercy on me today. Because I know that I'm a person who needs mercy. I know that I need grace. God, would you have grace? Would you extend your grace toward me? Because even on the way, I miss the mark. I, I don't. Get it right. But God, would you have grace toward me? And would you help me be gracious toward those around me? Would you help me be not just forgiven, but would you help me apply it in my life that I could extend that same mercy and grace and compassion and love and forgiveness to other people that I wouldn't hold that offense in my heart, that I wouldn't let that thing poison me and poison my family, poison those around me. God, would you help me? Would you help me acknowledge that and address that and deal with it? And would you help me roll it out of the way? I don't know that there is a formula if you do step one, step two, step three, step four, that it's all done and you've forgiven and everything's cool. Cool. 
because everybody's different. And I know that for some people it's a process. For some people it's just an immediate, you can let it go. But I do know the first step is this, is acknowledging. And like David said, God, search my heart and know my ways. And see if there's anything wicked in me. See if there's anything that's not right. Then lead me in your way. God, would you help us do that? Would you help us be those kind of people? The very thing that we preach to the city, the good news, could you apply it to yourself? Could you apply it to yourself? Could you apply it to those around you? Could you apply it to those who may offend you? Could you apply it there? Let's pray. God, I want to thank you that you are merciful, that you are gracious. God, thank you that you forgive and that when you forgive, it's a clean slate that we don't have to carry things forward. Thank you for your love and your mercy. And I'm praying, God, that you would help us apply the word of God in our lives, that we would be the expression of the gospel and that we would live out what it looks like to forgive that we would not be a people who would be caught up in offense, but we would be people who let offenses go. And not keeping track, not keeping record of wrongs. May we love in that way. I'm praying your blessing over this congregation, over these people, and praying for your favor over them. Thank you, God, for what you're doing, what you have done, and what you're going to do. Bless them, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.